Well, thank you for being here, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, We are in another week, and another week in Psalm 119. Uh, You can turn there. We're going to start in uh, verse 97. Uh, It's the 13th stanza of Psalm 119. Uh, Starting in verse 97, our text will take us down through uh, verse 104. I think at this point, it might be a little bit... uh, anticlimactic or it kind of might just be redundant to say that you know, that we probably know what the theme of this chapter is. Uh, we've been through, thir- well we're going to go through 13 stanzas uh, now this morning, after this morning we'll have gone through 13 stanzas and I think it should be uh, very clear, very evident what the theme is. Uh, it's, it's that this word of God that we have before us is completely internally uh, reliable and suitable and pertinent um, for every single situation that we face in life. That there's nothing in which that we can endure in which the word doesn't have a word for us. It doesn't, uh, it, there's no situation that we can imagine which is excluded from the comfort of the word, from the truth of this word. And I think David is very clearly saying that. He's constantly going to it for relief, for comfort, for uh, giving him uh, perhaps even uh, conviction, perhaps correction, discipline. He's always going to it and finding exactly what he needs. And that's, uh, to me, incredibly comforting. Because the word of God is so full that it always has something to say to us. And it will always say uh, sort of the same things. We looked at that last time. How the word of God doesn't change. It doesn't alter. It can't be altered. It will not fade away. We have that promise in the scriptures. It's something in which we can always rely on. Because it doesn't change and it's always relevant. It can always meet us right where we are. And that's why we can make this word um, our foundation, our foundation in life. You know, we're looking for something constant in, on which to rely on. We can rely on something that doesn't change, that can't, be, uh, that, that can't fade away, that can't be altered, that doesn't waver in its message. It's something that we can always rely on. And that's what the life of the Christian should look like. As we are called to be disciples, we are called to be students of the word. And that really means feeding off of scripture. Feeding off of it and uh, always coming to it and going to it for our spiritual food. Now that's sort of like a hokey thing to keep calling the word food and stuff. And that's a common illustration too uh, that a lot of pastors have used before where, the, where they would say something like, you know, you would never only eat once a week. And it's that sort of trying to inspire you to more Bible reading and devotion time or whatever. And as kind of cheesy as that is, I think it's really true. We would never treat our physical diet like we treat our spiritual diet oftentimes. And I'm speaking for myself. We often just go to the Word when we need it, when we remember it, when we're reminded of it, or on Sundays. (laughs) It's not something that's constant in our lives that's not something that we uh, yearn for all the time it's not something that we go to and go to to really fill us to really feed us to really nourish us and I can say that as myself it's so easy as a person who's studying the scriptures to just see the scriptures as something from which to study as opposed to something that actually speaks to you that actually has a message for you that can actually change your soul Instead of just being a sort of sermon manual. 
It's something that I have to battle all the time, that I'm not just going to it and trying to derive out of it something on which to share, but something which speaks to me and changes me first. It's so important to see the word that way, that yes, you can get nourished off of it, and we should. And it's something that that I think defines the Christian life, is being nourished by the word. You know, something that, I, um, um, that my dad is, uh, has talked to me before about a lot of times, but there's, uh, there's this, this reality or this idea oftentimes that, that ch- people who attend church will complain or just kind of gripe about sort of, you know, a lack of fruit in their life or a lack of direction in their life or uh, perhaps a lack of fulfillment or contentedness in their life. And they come to church expecting some sort of like, pastoral mysticism or something or like you know uh gospel pixie dust on which the pastor can sprinkle on them that will make them uh, full and uh, fruitful christians (laughs) i have to burst your bubble i don't have that (laughs) i didn't get that in my ordination service or i didn't get that when they installed me i don't have like a secret vat of of discipleship pixie dust to give you Uh, i don't have a magic wand and i think that's kind of the point of scripture too It only is going to be filling you as you're going to it for constant filling. If you're, to use that sort of cheesy illustration, you you can't gorge once a week and expect to be full, expect to be healthy, expect to get all the nutrition that you need. You can't gorge on the scriptures on Sundays and expect that to last all throughout the rest of your week. And I'm saying that as one who is preaching to myself. We were made for daily nourishment, daily feeding off of the word. And one of, I haven't read this book, but I know it's a title of a book, and I just, I should probably read it, but I just like the title, which is, um, he's the writer, I think it's Eugene Peterson, and he, he has this book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that's basically, he sums up the Christian life as that. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And that really just stirs up these ideas of it's constantly moving forward in the same way, even when you don't necessarily see uh, you know, a re- drastic change. You're pursuing this long obedience. You're striving towards this goal and chasing after it. It's a daily thing. It's a constant thing. And I think that's true too, to not to keep changing metaphors, but Christians, we aren't sprinters. We're, we're marathon runners. We're, we're not just uh, getting this uh, sudden burst of spiritual vitality and, and energy in which we just sprint out of the gates and that's how we have, to, we have to keep pace. Keeping pace in the Christian life is like running a marathon. You're, you're constantly moving forward, just putting one foot and step in front of the other, constantly pressing on, as Paul says, towards the prize of the high calling of God. I think that's what Christian life is, is supposed to look like. And I think that uh, David here, in this stanza specifically, he really, I think, leans into this idea of being nourished by the word. And I think, I think we have three lessons uh, very quickly in this stanza that talk about feeding off of God's word, uh, going to word for your spiritual diet, so to speak. And uh, these three sort of areas are areas in which we can constantly go to and be refreshed, nourished, filled. 
So first, let's look at verse 97. Well, let me read the stanza uh, first so we can get a, get a sense of it, and then we'll go back and talk about those three lessons. But let's read verse 97 through 104. David writes, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. So first this morning, I want to talk to you about a lesson about loving. A lesson about loving. Look at what he says in that first verse there, 97. He says, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. He, he opens up this stanza declaring his love for this law of God. And he says also that his life is consumed by this law. He says, it is my meditation all the day. It's something that he's thinking about. He's constantly living in. He's, he's studying this, this law all the time, all the day, he says. It's, it's this uh, phrase that evokes a constant meditation from sunrise until sunset. He is living in this word. And again, it's not a literal which he's spending 24 hours opening the word and studying it. He's living in its reality. As he's going about his life, he's living in the reality of what the law shows him, what the law tells him about himself and about his God. It's more indicative of a state of mind. It's his meditation all the day. All hours of the day he is striving to make this the the reality in which he lives in. uh, And the reality which shapes his life. And really you can see that. He says, oh how I love thy law is my meditation all the day. He's relying on this word. The promises from this law, from this word of God were defining him. Shaping him, defining him, forming him. We've looked at it several times, but he's constantly admitting and owning the fact that he is not sufficient in himself. He is not sufficient in himself to to make himself better or stronger or more spiritual or, or any of those things. He needed this word. And such is why he's living in it. Such is why he's soaking in it. He's just sitting in its truth. He's meditating on it all the day, he says. But I love verse 103 too because in this lesson about loving, look at how he describes this word. The word of God. He says, how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He's finding just immense richness and sweetness in this word of God that is speaking to him. It's pleasant to his ears. That's really what he means by this sweetness and how he's describing unto his taste. It's, it's pleasant to, for him to hear and to read and to see. And it's all of what the world can offer. It has no comparison to what this word of God says. To what this word of God tells him. 
It doesn't compare to what this offering of the word offers him. And we have to ask, I have to ask myself, can I say this? Can we say this? Can we say that God's words to us are sweeter than honey, uh, uh, honey to my mouth? Are they sweeter than anything that this world can offer us, can give us? Is God's word sweet to us? Is it our constant thought, our constant meditation? See, the, the reality is only believers can make these claims. Only those who have a share and have been made to have a share in this word and the God of the word can say these sorts of things. Only one who um, uh, knows that they've been reconciled from the law can say, I love this law. That's why it's, uh, we can see that in David's words. He knows, he's been promised, he's been assured of the coming son of David. Who would fulfill the law in his stead. And that's why he can say, I love it. Why? Because he knows that he's been redeemed from it. From all of its points and all of its restrictions and all of its uh, regulations. In which he knows that he is woefully imperfect. He knows that there's one better than him that has already fulfilled it for him. We can say this too. If you believe in Jesus this morning, you believe in a law fulfiller, which means that you can love the law. Why? Because now it's a law of life. Let me read you a verse. This is from Romans chapter 8 verse 2. Paul is writing and he says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What was before just a law of sin and death that only told us that you can't live up to it, that you can't uh, merit anything from it, is now a law of life. Why? Because it shows us the one who lived up to the law for us. Christ Jesus, in the spirit, through the law, we are made to see. We have ample reason to love it, just like David, because we can see God's heart in it. We can see God's character in it. And we can also uh, see uh, through the law, we can see Jesus in it as the great fulfiller of it. The one who has now made it a law of the spirit of life for us and to us. This Jesus, who is God's holiness in the flesh, who fulfills this law for us. What a blessed truth. What a truth that should be sweet to our ears and sweet to our tongues. This is the faith of those who love the scriptures, love the word. It's the word that engenders this love for it itself. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher over in London in the 1800s, he writes this. Those who know the power of the gospel perceive an infinite loveliness in the law as they see it fulfilled and embodied in Christ Jesus. And such is what we can claim. It's an infinite loveliness, an infinite love, and an infinite sweetness, we might even say, in this word. Why? Because we know that Jesus has fulfilled it in our place, in our stead. So then, now, it's a law of the spirit of life. What was before, we saw uh, in our unbelief as only restricting, as only something that we should hate, as only something that is loathsome, we actually find is freeing. 
The law becomes our freedom. The law becomes our love. Why? Because Jesus makes it that way. He makes it that way and through faith we can see it that way. Those who are in unfaith, they don't see the law. They don't see the scriptures this way. That's why you, you read, let me read the verse from 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul is writing to this church, and he even says that. That, that uh, 1 verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Those who don't have the faith in the cross are only going to see that reality as a foolish venture. They're going to uh, shrink and shrug at this idea of the law being a love to us. Why? Because they see it as foolishness. They see it as offensive. Look at Proverbs 27. uh, A couple pages over in your Bibles probably. Proverbs 27 verse 7. Solomon, David's son, writes this. He says, The full soul loatheth and honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. You can see how that even hearkens to what we've just been talking about. That the honeycomb, that which was sweet to David's ears, is going to be loathsome. It's going to be hated. It's going to be offensive by those who think they are already full. By those who think that they don't need this foolish message of the cross. They're going to hate this honeycomb. They're going to hate this sweetness. They're going to hate how this word uh, speaks to them. It's this false fulfillment of life without God. You even hate that which is sweet. And see, David, he knows that he is not full. He knows he's not sufficient. And why does he know that? Because he knows how weak he is. And that's why, even as that verse says in Proverbs, even the bitter things can be made sweet to those who are hungry. Such is David's spiritual mindset. That even when the law, the word of God, jolts him and jars him, he finds it good. He finds it sweet. It's a sweet relief because it tells us about Jesus. And that's who Jesus is. He himself is the sweetness of scripture who is given to us. Let me read you one more verse from Proverbs, which I love. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Again, David's son, he writes this. He says, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. This is God's word to us. This is God himself to us. He is the sweetness of this word, which is sweet and healthy. It isn't, uh, doesn't give us false hope. It gives us real nourishment and real food. And as we come to this word in faith, we are given this relief in the tasting of this word. And the good news is, the good news for us who have been made to be disciples and students of the word, we can find that this word grows infinitely sweet the longer we're in it. This is sort of the cyclical sort of uh, circularity of, of scripture, we might say. That the more we love it, the more we will become to think on it. And the more we think on it, the more we will come to love it. That's what happens. That's what happened with David. That's what happens with us as God's disciples. If you want to really love the word, spend time in it. 
Spend time in it as those who are hungry, as it, as it said back in Proverbs 27, as a hungry soul that yearns after it. If you do that, then instead of familiarity breeding contempt, familiarity will breed faith. When you come to it as a hungry soul, yearning to be fed, yearning to be fed daily. A lesson about loving, but look quickly, verse 98 through verse 100. I think we have here a lesson about learning. Look what he says. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. So here he's describing what this love does to him in his life. He, He describes how it has made him wiser, he says. He's learning where true wisdom comes from. He says, through this word, he is made wiser than his enemies. Wiser, he says, than all my teachers. Wiser, than, he says, than all the ancients. Than all of his forefathers. How is that so? Why? Because it tells him about Jesus. See, he's not boasting in his own wisdom. He's not boasting in the fact that he's smarter than these guys around him or those in his, uh, in his past. He's not flaunting his wisdom over his ancestors. He's boasting in the God who makes him wise. You have made me wise. Why? Because you have made me to see Jesus, the law fulfiller, the true son of David that will come after me. This is his understanding. This is his wisdom. It's our wisdom as well. We are not wise in and of ourselves. But like David, we have, like David was learning, we are not self-sufficient. We are not able to uh, see all of these things apart from God's spirit. And going back to Paul, we have to go back to Paul to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9 and 10. Because he says the same thing as David says here where he writes, where's my verse? And he says, for thou hast taught me, verse 102, where he says, Uh, I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. He writes this, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than than they all, Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. See what he's doing? He's describing how he was pushing forward, pressing in to what God was teaching him, knowing all the while that it was God who was sustaining him as he was pressing and pushing into that teaching. Just like David. He's pursuing this wisdom. He's learning of the word, knowing that it is God's spirit who is teaching him at all times. This is because Christ is our wisdom. Let me read you one more verse. I, I've been jumping around, but I just love this idea that David is becoming wise. He's talking about he's wiser than all the ancients. Why? Because Christ is our wisdom. Look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 
the glorious aspect of the gospel, Paul writes, but of him ye are in Christ Jesus. By faith we are grafted into Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We don't have to boast. We cannot boast in our own intellect, our own knowledge, our own wisdom. But we that can boast, we can boast in Christ. We can glory in Christ who, as it says there, is made unto us wisdom. As we learn how Christ lived up to this glorious law in our stead, we are learning true wisdom. We are learning how to truly live The truly wise person is one who entrusts his life to the one who created him and made a way to save him. A truly wise person entrusts their life to this one who fulfilled the law and stood in their stead. It's the wisdom of scripture, it's the wisdom of Christ, which is given to us as Christ himself is given to us. Such is what we can always go to the word and learn. We can always be learning uh, amazing and glorious facets of this substitution of Christ in our stead. It's a lesson about loving, a lesson about learning. Thirdly, go back to Psalm 119, verse 101 through the end of the stanza. I think we have a lesson about living. Look at verse 101. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Look at verse 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. So this love of the word that was growing in his heart and in his soul, which was teaching him, which through which he was learning, is now being uh, is radiating, we might say, radiating out into his life. This Love and this knowledge is being lived out by David himself. What he was learning and learning to love was affecting how he was living. He says, I am refraining. I have not departed. And through thy precepts, I, excuse me, I get understanding. It was expressed. This understanding was being expressed in his daily life. And the decisions that he was making and the choices that he was being confronted with and how he was choosing to live his life. He was exercising faith in this love that he was gaining and this love that he was learning about. And through this faith, he's being made to withstand, as he says, every evil way, every false way. He was fighting for what was true. How? As it says, he's refraining his feet. He was restricting his steps. He was putting himself on self-imposed restrictions. You know who does that? Only a person who loves the law of God does that. Puts self-imposed restrictions on their life. Or verse 102, by not departing from these judgments... He was being empowered by the Spirit as he was loving and learning to focus only on the Spirit. Focus only on what the Spirit was teaching him. And by that he was not, being, uh, not giving in to all of these false ideas and false truths that were supposedly giving him something else. Giving him something better. 
These restrictions were enabling David to remain intent on what God was teaching him. He wasn't turning to something else. He wasn't uh, looking for some other better source of sufficiency. And then in verse 104, I love it because he says, I hate every false way. You can say that only as you are then, yes, given the focus of the Spirit and given those restrictions through the Spirit. You can say, I have declared war on every false way that comes up into my life. You see, that's the true uh, reality of the Christian life. That these things that pop up in our lives, that distract us, that seek to get us down, that torment us. You have to see them not as just nuisances, but as enemies, as foes which need, uh, which need defending from, as enemies which need, being, need to be pushed out, as things which need to be strangled. Not just, uh, we can't just starve these things that come up to into our lives. We can't starve them and hope they'll go away. We have to strangle them. So this is the word that we get in the, I think it's the gospel or the, the book of Romans. That idea of mortification. It's a big word which basically just means kill those things which are not in line with the law and the gospel of God. Kill them. Mortify them in your flesh. Such is what David is basically expressing here. I'm hating every false way. I'm strangling the false, uh, uh, false gospels that are being told to me. The false uh, offerings of the word. The false offerings of the world, I might say. This is what discipline looks like. This is what it means to be a disciple, I think. You're declaring war through the focus of the spirit, through the faith of the spirit. You're declaring war on what is not in line with the Spirit. You see, this is the amazing thing of David's life. But the wisdom that he was gaining, you can see, it wasn't just a theoretical thing. It wasn't just staying in his head. It was very practical. It was, he was living it out. It wasn't just something that he was uh, doing for heady theories or conjectures. He was living exactly what he was learning. And he was seeing in himself this insufficiency. And seeing in the spirit of God, in God's word, this all-sufficiency. This is what the word does to us. Tells us. Shows us. All the fraudulent ways of the world in the true way to life through the word. It teaches us how to live And I love in verse 102, thou hast taught me. Again, he's not boasting in his own faith, in his own spirituality. He knows that he is only able to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's getting the credit. He's the one that gets the credit and is getting all the responsibility for all of this progress in David's life. You see, we are not responsible for one ounce of our holiness. Jesus is responsible. He's responsible for all of our holiness. He has made unto us sanctification and righteousness and wisdom. As our faith is put in that type of redeemer, that's what makes us holy. That's what makes us righteous. Everything good in us is because of Jesus. It's not because of things that we do, not because of things we know. It's because of what Jesus says to us and says about us. This 
is God's word. It's a feast. It's something that we can feast on for our entire lives. It shows us what to love. It shows us how to learn. And it shows us how to live. We do that by the Spirit. By the Spirit of God Himself. Who meets us where we are. And gives us Himself. On which we can internally eat off of. Feed off of. Nourish ourselves on. This is the Word of God. Are you chewing on it? Are you meditating on it? Are you thinking on it all the day as David says? Are you striving to learn from it and make it your source of life? Are you nourished in this word? Let us pray.